Welcome to Syracuse University Talks of Business, a collaborative podcast about the innovations, challenges, and opportunities in the modern business world and their impact on other industries. This podcast is produced by the Whitman School of Management at Syracuse University. I'm Jenna Lique. And today's conversation is a little bit different. It combines a couple of fields of study and a variety of topics. Whitman Assistant Management Professors Joel Carnavali and Lynn Vincent joined us to talk about creativity, loneliness, and leadership as it pertains to the workforce. So we're going to bring together some psychology along with business in this episode. Both of those subjects are very broad, so let's streamline them a bit by learning more about our experts' expertise. I focus on uh, personality and dark behavior exhibited both by leaders and subordinates. Uh, So uh, I, I should probably specify, I focus specifically on, or primarily on, uh, supervisory level, right? So uh, supervisors with direct reports and the interactions that occur between them. Right? So for example, some of the work uh, I do looks at how leader personality uh, characteristics or leadership styles or behaviors impact uh, their followers' uh, emotions, well-being, uh, and subsequent behavior, right? And I also look at the flip side as well, where I consider how employees' own behavior, especially behavior I'm I'm interested in recently, behaviors that we kind of take for granted as being wholly good, might actually produce uh, counterintuitive effects on leaders themselves. So, for example, Lynn and I are involved in a project right now where, you know, what happens when an employee develops a reputation for creativity? We tend to think that's a good thing, right? organizations want employees who are known for their ideas and come up with novel solutions to work problems. But how do do leaders always react positively to uh, these types of uh, behaviors uh, or these types of social impressions? My work primarily focuses on creativity and mainly like the consequences of creativity when we think about uh, social and moral implications. So I've looked at how does creativity help you manage rejection? I've looked at what are the moral consequences of creativity? So if you see yourself as a creative person, are you more likely to engage in lying, cheating, or stealing? But I also have work that shows that people who see themselves as creative are more likely to morally object for someone else. They they see an injustice happen and they are willing to speak up. Um, Then I have some uh, ongoing work where I'm looking at what are the effects of engaging in a creative act or behavior and the consequences on your health choices. You ask people to be creative, you might get some creativity, but what else are you going to get? So they just went through a number of topics, but I think Professor Vincent summed it up best. The primary focus of this conversation is to better understand all of the ways creativity manifests itself and how it pours into more than one specific box. This is especially true when we think about this under the lens of the COVID-19 pandemic. Creativity during COVID was interesting because there's a lot of creativity research that says that in certain situations, constraint can be a powerful facilitator for creativity because it's like these reasonable restrictions actually allow you to think about a problem in a different way and allow you to be more flexible. 
Um, so for like, uh, this is like a non-organizational example, but there was uh, a British horror film called, I think it's called The Host, it came out in 2020, where they had the whole thing as like a Zoom call. And it was this wonderful experiment and of successful creativity where these restrictions that they had based on the pandemic really allowed them to be really creative. Um, and the, the people working on that film actually noted it, that it was this amazing opportunity of someone coming to them and saying, okay, this is the situation, what can you do? Not, we need you to do this. It's like, what can you do? And they're like, oh my gosh, we get to do anything we want. Um, so scaling that back and looking at organizations in general, there were uh, some organizations that managed that really well and were able to continue being creative and continue to be productive. These were mainly ones that had strong communication structures and a lot of uh, trust and psychological safety among their teams that they were able to work through this process, work with each other through these barriers, figure out what the conflict is, figure out what the problems were, figure out what resources they need, and then allocate help, attention, and resources as needed. This is just one example of how creativity flourished during the pandemic. That wasn't always the result, though. Another product of this isolation was loneliness, specifically in regards to the workplace and some of the practices that came with the new normal. There is that difference between like remote communication, even video conferencing, and face-to-face -face engagement. You don't get the same emotional rush or the same connection that you do. And so we look at that, what does that mean for workplaces? Well, if we think about that emotional deprivation and that absence of social companionship at work is going to make workers feel more lonely. And then lonely employees will perceive less social support, which is going to negatively affect how they identify with the organization. And that affects how they feel committed to the organization. Uh, it, then that affects their willingness to stay at the job. So there might be greater turnover or turnover intentions. There might be less willingness to go like above and beyond. So you're just going to get like people doing their job, which just the bare minimum of doing your job, not actually pushing for innovation or new ideas. I would argue that because businesses are ignorant of the science behind what causes loneliness, uh, how to mitigate loneliness, um, then it's more of an uphill battle. It's more of a trial and error, see what works. Uh, but sometimes, as I, I would argue, when it comes to uh, you know, certain advocates for, uh, you know, let's abandon the in-person work environment, let's go fully remote. I know that's not everyone, but that is a, you know, a segment of the population who would be advocating for that. You know, those are, are situations I would argue are, it's a Pandora's box that once opened, it's going to be very difficult, if not impossible, to close. And so, you know, just as a, a point of comparison, uh, you know, consider the open office space movement, right, that emerged over the early 2000s. 
right? Organizations embraced this, thought it was a great idea that, you know, and, and intuitively it, it did make sense. We have an open office space. It's going to increase creativity, create co increase collaboration. Uh, it's going to make a happier workforce. And time and time again, studies show it does the exact opposite, right? So I personally, and I know this is more of a contrarian approach that um, people might not necessarily, uh, I think a lot of people might push back at, is I, I think we're facing the same thing when it comes to uh, switching to, in the extreme, a fully remote work environment. Now, I'm absolutely not against a, uh, I, I think one positive thing that has come out of uh, the past couple of years in terms of work is uh, the acknowledgement that we need a more flexible work environment that, you know, hey, if you need to you know, have the flexibility to take your child to the doctor, right, you should be able to do that. Um, you know, if, if you can do some of your work at home, then you should have the flexibility to do that. Moving toward a fully remote type of environment to me uh, is it's like junk food. We think that it's really good, but it actually leads to more harm been good. The themes of creativity and loneliness have impacts on how the workplace functions. And this is not just something that plagues employees, but bosses and company leaders. There's uh, evidence that leaders aren't immune to the uh, feelings of loneliness. You know, oftentimes we think because leaders are the ones who frequently interact with subordinates, right? They provide feedback, support that, you know, they may be the last uh, people in the workplace to, to feel lonely, but uh, several studies over the past year have shown that's just not the case. Uh, I mean, you know, thinking about it from the leader's perspective, you're expected to provide feedback and support, but you're not necessarily getting such support reciprocated back to you. The expectations are not the same that employees feel the need to, you know, reciprocate that back, not always at least. And so uh, one study, for example, looked at just what uh, Lynn was was saying this kind of uh, self-reinforcing kind of effect. They looked at uh, leaders' daily loneliness, right? Their daily experience of loneliness over time. I believe they used a diary study where the leaders reported how they felt each day. And loneliness for leaders led to, basically was a, what, what determined whether they approached it in a adaptive or a maladaptive way depended on how, how they framed the loneliness, right? So if they focused on kind of negative rumination, things like, um, you know, about how lonely they were and how unable they are to foster connections with others, uh, it decreased their work engagement, made them less likely to help their subordinates, and then actually increased their loneliness because of those things, because they were less engaged and they were less helpful. But when leaders reframed uh, their loneliness to uh, more of a kind of a problem solving kind of framework, right? Pondering about ways in which that they can uh, better foster their social connections. It actually led to increased engagement, increased helping of uh, co uh, well, their employees and uh, fellow leaders, uh, which actually uh, lessened uh, their loneliness. And kind of the key variable there was whether the leader, uh, what, what we call leader self-efficacy, the belief in their own ability to improve their standing. So, you know, foster, and we know uh, from research that we can, uh, organizations can uh, enhance individual self-efficacy. They can uh, enhance their confidence and their ability to perform a task. And in this case, enhance leaders' uh, ability to, uh, confidence in their ability to 
uh, improve their standing in terms of their loneliness. So there have been a lot of problems brought up that need solutions. Professor Carnavali just advised leaders to find ways to enhance their confidence. Here's what Professor Vincent offers as a way to improve in all areas. That skill to reframe situations is so critical in organizational life and uh, personal life. Um, years ago, I read a, a parenting book about like reframing the behaviors you do. You're like you might not like a particular task for parenting, but like changing diapers, like, yeah, I don't really want to change this diaper, but I want to take care of my child. So you reframe that behavior. I think there's a, a tricky part for loneliness in particular, though, when we talk about this resilience and ability to bounce back, because lonely individuals tend to give more weight to these like negative cues and information while making judgments about themselves. So this experience of loneliness makes people perceive themselves in a more negative way. And um, then it can make them more cautious and less willing to experiment and take risks or um, which may hinder their ability to get out of that negative state. So it's tricky with loneliness. Loneliness remains the presiding concern in the way we live our lives may have an immense impact on that. Professor Carnavali gives an example of this found in an old shared experience that has been made obsolete as shown in the Netflix documentary, The Last Blockbuster. Lynn and I definitely can, can say that, you know, all through our teenage years, Blockbuster was, um, you know, it, it, that, that was where you got your movies from, or at least some sort of, you know, hometown uh, video store. And, and I'm using Blockbuster as a specific example when it, it's really a much, a much broader problem. Watching this documentary really brought me back in time to when... What did you do on a Friday night or a Saturday night uh, as you know, a young teenager or you know, even, even younger? You went as a family, maybe. You went to Blockbuster uh, if you wanted to, you know, to rent a movie, and you saw people that you knew in the neighborhood. You knew the clerk. You conversed with them, maybe caught up. Right? It was a social experience. Right? And watching the, the documentary, you know, it, it kind of showed how you know, it petered out. We have Netflix. Our experience right now when you want to watch a movie is completely different and not just in terms of video rentals, but in literally almost every other domain of our lives. So do you, uh, we are less in touch with our community. Now we, do, do you want to rent a movie? You don't have to leave the comfort of your own home. Do you want to order food? You don't need to leave the comfort of your own home. Do you want to go grocery shopping? You don't need to leave home. Do you want to find a date? You don't even need to leave home for that. And so now what is being offered to us, I would argue as a, uh, a Faustian bargain is, well, now one third of your life that, you know, our, basically our last refuge for having social interactions, the workplace is now about to be conducted for at least a large number of people at home. We're kind of back to where we started. The different and seemingly creative ways we found to expedite processes have perpetuated an ongoing problem in our society. Okay, but let's not leave you all on a down note. Professor Vincent will close us out with a pointer for businesses to help with these persistent problems. Yeah, there's another study that was similar to that that looked at psychological capital as a way to moderate the negative effects of loneliness. And when they talk about psychological 
capital, it's part self-efficacy, part like optimism, part hope, um, and part of this like resilience or perseverance toward a goal achievement. So it's quite sort of this idea of like, are you able to experience this negative feeling, which loneliness often is, and will recognize it, but rebound from it. Finding methods for how to bounce back and having an understanding of how loneliness affects the workplace are just a couple of ways to address some of the topics mentioned in today's episode. Thank you to our guests for their time and expertise. This has been Syracuse University Talks Business. I'm Jenna Lique, and we'll talk to you soon.